first week of the NFL playoffs, super wild card weekend. And it wasn't that impressive to me. I'll be honest with you. It wasn't. It really wasn't. It was, um, it was underwhelming. Maybe this week would be better, but I seriously doubt it. I think the NFL is going to pan out like it always does. Some point it's going to be Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes versus who really cares. Right. Like, <laughs> is that, is that not what we're going to see next weekend in the conference championships? That's what I think everybody's hoping at this point. I mean, that's, Beginning of the season, those are the marquee names you were hoping to see in January. And damn it, here we are. Let's start the show. What up, what up, what up? Welcome in another episode. Jason Spells in New York City, Brandon Edler in Los Angeles. And we were discussing Super Wild Card Weekend because the NFL loves to market everything. It used to just be wildcard weekend. They added an extra game, and all of a sudden, it's super. Like, you got to have the super beginning and the super ending. And the other two weeks in the middle are going to be shitty, but they can't call it that. Um, I was sitting there as we were getting ready for the show, B, and I was trying to figure out, right, like, which team most surprised you in their wildcard weekend performance? I think I know the answer for you, but... Damn it, I'm just gonna say it. I think you're gonna say you were most surprised about Cincinnati Bay. Um, no, not, not not entirely. I mean, Joe Burrow's really yeah, he's been on fire all year. I'm gonna say you're not gonna be surprised by this one, but I'm gonna say the Rams. I mean, I don't think that I was shocked that they won, but just how simply Arizona gave it to him, especially when Arizona was, you know, I think going into week 13, week 14, they had the best record in the NFC and you know, everybody was talking about their defense. They had a lot of weapons on offense. They looked terrible yesterday. And I know, what's your quote? How do you feel about Arizona? First off, what did I text you when the game was going on? What have <laughs> I been I'm, texting that's, you? That's what I'm trying to prompt you to say. I'm not he saying He's too that. little, bro. He's too <laughs> little. I've been telling you this for weeks. Kyler Murray, for as talented as he is with his arm strength, for as amazing as he is as a runner, he's too little. He just is. And a lot of people wanted him to be Russ. I was in another group text with my homeboy, Ben. Shout out, Ben, in Denver. Um, And we were discussing, you know, how a lot of people thought Kyler was going to be like Russ. Because Russ is not a tall um, tall statue quarterback either. The difference is, and now granted, I will say this, I have a bigger sample size of seeing Russ succeed at this versus Kyler. But Russ knows how to move the pocket. He knows how to use the fact that he doesn't have the height as his benefit when he shifts and moves the pocket to create lanes for him to see. Kyler does not do that. Kyler still tries to stand in the pocket. And then when he runs on the outside, he runs like he's scared. I'm just going to be honest. And I would be too if I was that of that stature. Um, You know, he has a whole thing where the arms are kind of wailing down by by his waist and the head's kind of falling back. That's where he is. He's too little, man. I think we're going to see the ceiling of Kyler Murray really soon, as in next season. And the, the Cardinals have to determine whether or not they want to extend him. But I just don't think he has the height to really be a dominant quarterback in the National Football League. Or he doesn't have the offensive coordinator <coughs> or head coach Cliff Kingsbury that puts him <laughs> in positions to be successful. That, that's the team that most surprised me and then least surprised me at the same time. I was surprised they lost that bad, but not surprised they lost. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, no, it, it wasn't a pretty game. And um, you're, you know, pretty spot on that seemed to be one of the bigger differences in the game. You can't say I'm right, King. You're just incapable of saying <laughs> no, but like even the play where he probably should have took the safety in the end zone. And, and to your point, he did exactly that. Like he kind of scrambled around in the pocket a little bit. And then he pulled some Mario Brothers looking underhand pass and threw an interception that turned into a pick six. And, you know, it was a couple of moments where you're just like, he looks like a junior high kid playing against varsity players. Yeah, he, he ain't it. And you, you learn relatively soon in the National Football League. Now, now, that being said, there are different caveats, right? Like a head coach or a bad offensive coordinator can really mess a player up. That is true. We, we do see that. Um, right. However, in situations like this, you do see the National Football League, someone's ceiling where they reach it quickly. You're drafted on potential, but that potential capital runs out very quickly when we actually see you on the field. And to your credit, right, like I know you were a big fan of Kyler early in the season. We all know how the NFL works when they get tape on players. And it's the ability of the player to overcome when defenses start scheming for you. Kyler can't do that, partly because of the coach, partly because of the physical gifts. I'm just being honest. Is that a jackass thing to say? Probably, but he's too little, bro. I texted you three times in the game last night, and all it said was all caps, everybody, straight all caps. Too little. I don't think it's a jackass thing to say. I mean, you know, just even look at this class of quarterbacks for the last few years. There's so many guys who teams are willing to trade up, put a lot of big franchise pieces to get them. And then three years in, you know, they're not even willing to extend. Tua. 50, yeah. Tua, Tua, Tua yeah. Baker. You know, we're talking about literally 40, 50% of first round draft picks. So, you know, the quarterback position, you know, projecting what their talent's going to be is what's getting so many teams in trouble. And it's like, I get it. It's so difficult because their college system versus what you can have in the pro, it's really difficult to translate that. But somehow NFL scouts got to get a little bit more precise about what this player is going to do for their team, because there are so many teams who get that opportunity maybe once in every five, seven, 10 years to draft in like the first 15 to get somebody of that caliber and way too many teams are missing. Or you're the Jets, my new favorite. Or the Browns. Or the Browns. (laughs) Yeah, you get enough quarterback picks, you just can't figure it out. Um, So it's interesting you bring up like coaches not getting it, right? Because, or excuse me, teams not getting it with the way that the guys are playing in college. It really goes to high school, right? Like, I mean, now... Every high school coach says, who's my most athletic person? How do I get the ball in their hands? How do I scheme and game plan for them? So now you're seeing high school quarterbacks who, you know, they they may be good pocket passers in high school, but they're having to run more. They're doing run pass option. So then when you see them get to college, well, the college coach got a $8 million, $7 million, $3 million contract on the line. I'm not going to mess this kid up. If he's my best athlete, I'm going to let him figure this out. So then you start finding the college quarterbacks who were like a Lamar, who were like a Kyler, who were like a Jalen. Um, and Jalen worked on his pocket passing when he got to Oklahoma. But you, you see how the proliferation of the game is, I got to get the guy who can help me win to protect my job. Right. So then when exactly. those guys are now Heisman Trophy winners and in the National Football League, you start looking at their physical gifts and saying, my God, he's fast. He's so athletic. He's so dynamic. We all saw the plays of Lamar two seasons ago in the playoffs. It's hard as hell to look at that and say, this guy is not the future of the National Football League. 
But the issue is now coaches all go out and try to find a player who can do those same gifts, those same things on the field, and they can't. And so you see a situation like Justin Herbert for his arm strength. He wasn't a big pocket guy, under center guy at Oregon. He had to learn to go under center because he was in a shotgun at Oregon. Right. Um, the way you said that, though, the future of the NFL just like totally took me back to any given Sunday. The scene with I don't even know what the actor is, but plays the journalist and he's typing, watching Willie Beeman as he comes in. My name and Willie Beeman. <laughs> that movie still, I mean, it, you know, for as many movies as they feel like they have to make remakes of, like, why don't they make remakes of that? And I get it. Because like, it's perfect. Because kind of, you got Lawrence but, Taylor with a chainsaw sawing a Chevy Tahoe and ass. <laughs> <laughs> it is perfect, but I just, you know, 25 years later, I'd be really curious to see what they'd be able to produce because that at, at the time was very over the top, you know, just it was a little bit different. It was a lot more graphic. Like I'm, He Got Game is probably one of my favorite sports movies of all time, but any given Sunday, just like the rawness of it is so amazing. Any given Sunday and the program are my two favorite football movies, but I watch The Replacements more because it's always on like TBS. It is on TBS too often. I think TBS signs like 20 year like deals with any movie or IP that they get. So you're saying we need to get a movie and just get that syndication line from TBS? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that will make life much easier. Um, I mean, I don't know what they pay that out. It might be like a nickel, an airing or something like that. But yeah, they but definitely consider the fact that how much the replacements is on. I mean, Kyle Reese probably got like 3 million this year just off of that. <laughs> <laughs> replacements is playing right now and charmed is coming on after that um this oh week you're looking ahead divisional round i've already kind of outlined kind of how this is expected to go but it's pretty safe to say that the titans are like the least respected one seed right yeah for sure it's uh i was actually with lucas last night who you've met um we were grabbing wings and we were both trying to figure out for five solid minutes who the number one seed team even was in the afc that just shows you the lack of respect right there I mean, right now, Tennessee's got a three-and-a-half-point favorite over Cincinnati at home, and I'm tempted to take the Bengals, put it that way. After watching what they did last week, uh, Henry, I believe he was coming back. Let me double-check that. Um, I believe he was coming back. And we got to talk about that on episode two, right? Like, modern medicine. Oh, big week. Derrick Henry, uh, he's practicing this week. Um, But, like, with modern medicine, you're seeing, like, Derrick Henry – J.J. White, like these dudes is going out with, it used to be um, at least season-ending injuries, potentially career-ending, mm-hmm. and now they're coming back in the same season. Cam Akers, mm-hmm. torn Achilles, came back in like six months. Like we got to hit on that at some point, maybe later. This week, though, we're talking about the um, why we should take the Bengals over the Titans. Talk me out of it. Why should I take the Titans and stick with the favorite in this regard, Brent? I'm not going to. I like Cincinnati, man. I mean, Jamar Chase is – he's it. He is it. And Burrow is playing really, really well, too. Like, that's a team I, – I get it. Bengals fans, like, watching them on social media and Reddit leading up to this week, they were the team that felt like they were cursed and doomed to lose that first week just because of the team's history. But this might be it, man. You know how they, it feels like every couple of years there's that one team that had to pay the playoffs that makes a really decent run? Kind yeah, I thought that was going to be the Raiders, and I was wrong. But, yeah, I give it to you. Yeah, it feels like since he's here. Hey, do you watch Joe Burrow and feel like a proud father? No. Because, like, you see Joe Burrow, right? You know, he was doing get the gat when he was at LSU, the dance. Yeah. And then you saw him in the locker room after they won the AFC North. And I ask that because, you know, you're a smooth-ass dude, Brent. I see Thank you kicking you, with folks in a cornfield. 
I see you in a trap at the same damn time. When you watch Joe Burrow, his ability to walk both sides of the locker room, are you like, damn, that's me? Do you see a kindred spirit in yourself? Nah, I'm not as cool as Joe Burrow. I don't think I quite got it like that. But I uh, always appreciate people that are, are able to keep it inclusive. I, I like what you did there. Um, National Basketball Association, you sent me a text. Yes. And I didn't know how to take it at first. And so I played the clip. And, and okay, so Brandon's an avid Reddit user for those of y'all listening. Me, eh, not so much. Um, but he sent me the link of the diss song that this fan put out to Russ. Matter of fact, hold up, hold up. Before you say shit, let's play the song. Come on, come on, Russ, show me some. Two for 12 ain't nothing. If Ron was open for a corner three, I bet a dollar that you throw it to the nosebleeds. Come on, come on, Russ, show me some. Two for 12 ain't nothing. We just spent our bread on ya. And it's all for now. Like, all I'm asking is for you to just play better, dog. Like, come on, son. Please, like, this This shit ain't cool, man. Just please play better. Loyal, I think, is Chris Brown's greatest song ever, honestly. Um, but the diss track, what'd you say? Poppin'. Poppin', really? That's on a poppin'? Yeah. That's Chris Brown's greatest song. Yeah. Man, loyal, period. Uh, okay. <laughs> like, I heard it, and, like, I laughed at it because it was corny rap, right? But the audacity, and, and at least this guy, he made this disc and then DM'd it to Russ. So at least he didn't just drop it on social media. He took it to the dude's doorstep. I don't encourage people doing this, but I get a sentiment um, because Russ has been a problem and not in a nice way for the Lakers this year. Dude, you got to you gotta respect it. I mean, the bars. First of all, break the track. What would what, you think? Out of 10, like a two. <laughs> that's probably it was trash, appropriate. That was trash. Yeah, I, I really wish at some point somebody uh is able to put out russell westbrook's reaction when he first heard that because yeah that that that's we're not talking some ether type historical rap beef with that one but internet's amazing it's funny i feel like as a pro athlete at this point like there's certainly some things that are probably going to get under your skin especially when the media is doing what they do at certain moments reaching for that clickbait, looking for that story. But for the most part, like, it's just comical out there. Everybody's so funny. And, I mean, Russ, yeah, I think we're in agreement. Russ you know pretty how bad this angry year, but... you got to make someone to go look for the loyal instrumental. Go in the booth. Sadly, sadly I don't think so. I mean, there's a lot of people who are just really bored and really just want to get other famous people's attention. I, I think we forget that's like 40% of the internet. You know, uh, you, you put it in perspective. You're right. Like, I mean, this guy got the best. Um, he's got the most notoriety he's ever gotten by putting out this trash song. That's that's the best for him. Um, I just actually read this article from The Athletic that Frank Vogel, head coach with Lakers, is now on a game-to-game basis. Oof. I think we talked about – we, I can't remember if this has been on air or off air, but I feel like we're both – on the side of Frank Vogel that we don't necessarily think that's the right move. Are you still feeling the same way? He ain't the only problem. problem. That roster is, that roster is problematic. I'd be shocked to see many coaches do very well with that roster. I mean, look at, look at Steve Nash. Like he basically, if you look at that team, like six of their guys on the roster were all-stars four or five years ago. And like, 
I get they have a decent record, but it's not like they're exactly trucking through everybody. No, no. I mean, back to Frank Vogel. I mean, the situation is you have an offense that's built around two players. One player isn't there. So uh, Anthony Davis is out. Uh, I believe he has a knee injury. Um, and then you add in the addition of Russ. And this is actually a greater question I've been meaning. I've asked a couple of people. I haven't asked you. So Russ, we know, is this triple-double machine, a force of nature in Oklahoma City. But you take a look at the performance we've seen in Houston, Washington, and now L.A. And now you do have to question, was he that player all along? Or was he the benefit of, you're the one guy in Oklahoma City, you have free reign in this offense? Because you've seen him team with other talent, and it doesn't work. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I don't know if there's like a – feels like a little bit more gray than black and white when it comes to something like that. Like, I don't want to take away what Russ is as a basketball player. I think it's easy for us to like make jokes or it's easy for us to hyper-focus on the games where he does play terrible because he has a lot of games like that. But dude, Russ is, Russ is a special talent. But I think the bigger point you're getting to is he's not the kind of guy that's going to help elevate other teammates and make them better. He's going to go out, work his ass off, get his stats, but I don't necessarily know if he contributes enough to the team it's like you even think back in was it 2012 when the Oklahoma City Thunder made it to the finals against the Heat it was the same situation you know KD always felt like that kind of guy there's just certain guys you know when they're on the court they make their teammate better I don't know if anybody's ever felt that way about Russ Yusuf Nurkic um started a Russell like three years ago uh in the playoff series between the Thunder and the Trailblazers Nurkic at the time, the center of Portland, and he was injured, but he wore a shirt. I believe it was game seven. Yeah, it was the bye-bye to Paul George. So he wore a shirt, mm-hmm. and, he, and it said, Russell West Brick. West Brick. So Yusuf Nurkic has been letting the NBA know for years, but his jump shot ain't there. True Hoopers have known the jump shot wasn't there, but now when you see it in regards to a full team, you start questioning whether or not he is that piece. Clearly, Lakers fans are over it. Um, you talked about KD. KD out like the next month with a, uh, with an knee injury of his own sprained MCL. <sighs> that was always going to be the problem for this Brooklyn Nets team in their pursuit of a championship. Take Kyrie being mm-hmm. Kyrie out of it, their health. And that will be a question going forward. Will you ever see their big three together in a championship capacity? It's really not feeling like it. I mean, it, you know, we're two seasons in and I think it's less than 20 games where all three of them have been on the court at the same time. You know, injuries are unfortunate. You know, these guys take care of themselves pretty well. But, you know, when your stars have that many miles on it, you know, look at, at the Lakers. And I know we're looking at quite a bit different experience. But still, Katie's been in the league for a while. Harden's been in the league for a while. Kyrie, he's had a lot of injuries. He's been in the league for a while. I don't know. It just doesn't feel like the stars are going to align for the Nets. Like one of those things where, you know, just like a movie, you feel like the super villain's too gassed up that there's no way that the story will let him win. That's kind of what the Nets are feeling like at this point. So wait, do you cheer for the villain? Like when you go to like movie theaters, do you cheer for the bad guy? Some movies, yeah. Some movies, the villain's good. I, I think I cheered for Bane a little bit in the last Batman movie. Bane was pretty dope. Was that the last Batman movie? Yeah, well, I, the I last mean, good one. I know they've done like other ones that Christopher Nolan hasn't done since, but I don't really pay mind to those. <laughs> yeah, I, I 
I can't remember. I'm not a movie guy. So I just, when you, when you brought that analogy up, I had to ask the question. Um, well, the Nets aren't going to miss out on an opportunity to make money off of it though. Cause the, the window of the big three is short. So the Nets are promoting different ways. Um, and so this actually hit social media yesterday and it was huge. Um, we've talked a lot about the metaverse and people buying fake shit for fake world with glasses and VR. <laughs> well, the Nets have taken it a step further and they have the Netaverse in which they have, I believe, a hundred different cameras shooting the game in a different way. So basically you put your goggles on and you watch the game. It kind of resembles a video game, but like, yeah, it it's looks real like players. 2K. Yeah. Um, now, I joke, I'm not a big fan of the Metaverse at all, but like, this is the future of sports, right? The ability to sit in your home, put your glasses on, and now you're sitting section 405 and you feel like you're at Barclays, at crypto.com, at MSG. I do think there is the future of sports in the virtual reality world with that. I mean, this is, I think, one of the bigger elements in virtual reality people are hoping to get to is to feel like they're more part of the experience, get closer to a lot of things. And, you know, basketball is a sport where, well, I don't even take a step back. Like, even just watching some of the football highlights on Instagram, like the new camera angles and stuff like that. Like, yeah, the more people are able to do stuff like that, I think the more it's going to attract fans. Like, me personally, I could care less about going to the NFL game because when you're there, it's not the same as at home. You don't have the same kind of view, the same kind of angles. It doesn't seem the same. So the more that they're able to elevate the experience for fans that feel like they're involved, I always think that's going to be one of the key measurements for sports teams. And dude, this looks amazing. I mean, for, you know, the metaverse still kind of being defined what it is, nobody really having like a perfect Sims. holding on it. <laughs> the Nets did a really good <laughs> job pulling this off. I actually watched a, uh, wall street journal video last night it was a journalist who spent 24 hours straight in the metaverse it was pretty interesting i mean i think the biggest takeaway from it is this is undeniable like you know you and i joke about it you know even for work i'm having yeah for work i'm having to get more involved in it it's like it's coming like this is gonna happen it's just to what degree what element like even this lady last night said she's like you know basically spending my whole day on the metaverse was like exhausting like it just, you know, the the weight of it, how it feels, but not only that, having the goggles on. So it'll be really interesting how this continues to develop. But I love seeing that sports are, you know, pioneering and getting in there early on. Sports are expected to be big in it. I was reading articles that said concerts will also be expected to be big in the metaverse. It boils down to this for me. Jay Spells is not about to spend a hundred damn dollars to sit on my couch and put these glasses on to watch his game. That's fair. I'm not going to do it. I already paid about 200 to Spectrum for cable. So I'm just going to watch it on I, TV. I mean, I don't even like to spend 50 bucks to go see in person, even if I get hooked on the tickets. That's just you personal feel me? preference. And this is just teed up for you. I'm going to just shut up, get out your way. You got two minutes to rant. Devin Booker had a meltdown when they played in Toronto because there are no fans in Ontario, Canada. And the Raptors mascot, whatever the hell the name is, the dinosaurs jumping up and down. He lost it, yelled at the ref, saying that the, the Raptor was a distraction. Since then, we've seen someone dressed up as a Raptor at a Pacers game when the Suns were there. And then last night, Suns were in San Antonio. And the Spurs Coyote mascot put on a cone of silence. 
go ahead and feel free to go in on your boy D-Book. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to say. I still think D-Book is a little bit of a punk sometimes. But, yeah, I, I also saw what he did on the court last night. 48. I think he had 10 of their first 12. The guy's an amazing score. I mean, he, he's a great player, but yeah, he, he's a little punk. I don't know if I necessarily want him to be the leader of my team. I just have one of those things where I feel like guys that tend to have characteristics like him don't really win much. But that's just my humble, humble opinion. Sorry, D-Buck. Yeah, so basically Brandon said punks don't win. Call D-Buck a punk. Uh, we, we gave a lot of slander to Russ. Russ did his thing against Rudy Gobert last night, too. He banged all over him. Mm. So, you know, we're going to talk about the diss track. We're going to give Russ his flowers. He still is a hell of a player to watch. And this is a hell of a podcast to listen to. As always, give us a couple of likes. But if you love the show, share it. Put your people on so they can put their people on. And uh, we're going to do this again next week after the super divisional round of the NFL. Yeah. (laughs) Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Sunday. (laughs) Sunday.